Thank you, Northside, and welcome. I love the series that we're about to get into, and I'm really grateful that Nate had the wisdom to uh, slot this series now because I feel like the momentum is right for a look at the Psalms. I, I love Scripture. I absolutely love the Bible. And you know, it's, it's really interesting. Sometimes uh, one part of it speaks to me very deeply, say, an epistle of Paul. Other times it's a story of Jesus. And still other times, maybe Moses. We've been through a great series now on the book of Exodus. So I'm wondering what it is that's speaking to you in the Word today. When I was a kid, we had what they called the bookmobile. Any of you ever? Yeah, okay. I've had a few in every audience who knew what the bookmobile was. I grew up in a rural town, and in that town, we didn't have a library, so about every other week, the bookmobile would come, and it's just loaded with books, and we got to crawl up in that thing and look at these children's books and check a few out. We'd keep them for a couple of weeks and then come back at it two weeks later. Well, I mention that because I think of the Bible as a library. When you think about this collection of all of these books that have been brought together by the Holy Spirit and the Lord God Almighty over time to serve the needs of God's people through the centuries so that we could connect with Him and understand what it is He wants from us. And the question I want to raise for you at the beginning of this sermon is, what have you checked out lately? You've been to the Bible? Who are you reading? And more to the point, I want to ask this question. Have you read the Psalms recently? Psalms are a little bit different. Much, maybe most of the Bible is a word from God to His people, right? But the Psalms strike me as words spoken to God, a kind of speaking with God. The Psalms are prayers, and prayer is not monologue. Eugene Peterson says that prayer is always responding speech, that we are answering uh, God for things that we have seen, things that we have read, things we've noticed about what He's doing in the world today, always responding. And God comes back to us again and again in His Word, and so we have this dialogue emerging between us. It's an amazing thing that God has included in His book a whole section of these psalms so that we know how ancient Israel prayed. And I think we have given the psalms in part so that we will learn how to pray, how to express ourselves rightly in prayer. I think of the psalms kind of as a hymnal. Do you know what a hymnal is? Have you been to a museum lately? <laughs> yeah, a hymnal. A few weeks ago, many of you were here when a number of us stood on a riser back here. George was preaching that week, and we sang old hymns. We sang the doxology, and a lot of you opened up and sang the doxology with us, and I noticed a number of you were crying when you sang the doxology. I noticed people around me up on these risers were crying when we sang the doxology. And here's my little confession today. I lip-synced part of it because I was choked up. I just couldn't get the words out. 
these old songs that I grew up with, the doxology, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. There's something about a song. It reminds me of the days when Israel had returned to Jerusalem after her long exile in Babylon, those 70 years. She went home. She rebuilt the walls. She rebuilt the temple. It was a grand and glorious time. People were becoming familiar with old things and precious things that they had lost for some time. A number of them were weeping and had to be told, don't weep. It's a time for celebration. There is just something about a song. And the Psalms are songs. Let me put it this way. Every person begins life with a bundle of sounds. We breathe in, we breathe out, sometimes slowly, sometimes rapidly, sometimes in deep, great gulps, and sometimes quietly. Before that, when we were in our mother's wombs, our heartbeat began very early in life. So the rhythm section in this song was already in place. And as we came into this world, we moved forward. The songs continued to give us life. The rhythm was there. You've got to have rhythm to hold the band together, don't you? Yeah. God put a song in us very early. In time, we just can't hold it in. We shouldn't hold it in. We have to join the chorus. It's a part of what we do here every week. It's part of what brings us back to this place to sing these songs, these glorious songs to the glory of God. Israel had her songs. Oldies, I'll call them but oldies of a different kind altogether. Songs that brought order and stability in the midst of that chaos that attended her deportation, her exile. Some of you old-timers will remember the lyrics to Hee Haw's theme song. Gloom, despair, agony on me, deep dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for what, a bad song? I'd have nothing at all. Gloom, despair, agony on me. Okay, I don't remember the lyrics all that well myself. What I want to say to you is we heard that every, what, Saturday night? It was kind of a lament. A lament. The Psalms are filled with laments. They form Israel's history and its hymnal. So, what is a lament? Not too terribly long ago, I pulled into the parking lot up uh, near the brick house where my office is, and there I saw my colleague's car, Marty Jackson's car, parked <laughs> in the parking lot. And I snapped off this picture and took it to Marty and said, Marty, are you okay? I'm just a little worried. You know, you have to commit here, one side or the other. Are you, are you okay? We were going through a rough time as a church, as a staff. We were lamenting little Callow Woods' death. And so some strange things were happening as people worked long, hard hours that week. I heard a bluegrass band years ago down south of us, a nine-piece bluegrass band. 
they played for a group of scholars called the Society for the Study of Christian Spirituality. So here are the scholars on one side in their corduroys and thick glasses, and here's the band up on that stage singing and playing away. And about the middle, somewhere around intermission, the leader of the scholars who gathered stood up and said to us, what are you hearing? Some said one thing, some said another. A gentleman sitting almost directly behind me stood up and said, I'm hearing laments. I'm hearing the Psalms from the Old Testament. He began to explain what he meant by that. And the members of the band, their faces began to light up. This guy gets it. He understands our problems because these are songs about afflictions and addictions and problems and breakups and the misery, the lament of human existence. This whole series, these five weeks that we're going to be talking about Psalms, entitled Permission to Speak Freely. Because in the Psalms, we learn that's how it was with Israel. Let me illustrate this through the life of my nephew, who when he was two years old, red in the face, clenching his fist, prayed one of the best prayers I've ever heard. Dear God, poo-poo! A little awkward, maybe. Very direct. Unambiguous. It's one of the simplest prayers I've ever heard, and it has stayed with me. It's an important thing to... Okay, yeah. It's an important thing to learn how to pray to God from where you really are. Not where you think you're supposed to be. That's not going to work in his case, right? And so we learn in reading these psalms to pray like that. I, I just think we're all messed up with prayer sometimes because we think we've got to have it all together when we come to God. We've got to get the words right. We've got to have our theology right. Part of the point of prayer is I don't have my theology right. I haven't been able to sort out all the good from all of the bad. And so like a little child... I come to God and say, this is what I'm feeling, this is what I'm thinking, this is what I'm seeing. It doesn't make sense, God. Please help me with this. I make a habit of hanging on to your prayer cards from week to week, and I know what you're praying. I'm, I'm praying some of the same things for myself and my people. We're praying this together, and it's not pretty people who are fighting for their lives in hospitals, people who've been recently diagnosed with grave illnesses, marriages in turmoil, children in toxic relationships. And we pray, God, please, would you just save our kids? Careers at stake, parents lost, addictions, the list goes on. Sometimes it's our sins we can't seem to let go of our sins, or we've confessed our sins, God's forgiven our sins, but we won't forgive ourselves. And the stuff just keeps coming back like a bad dream. There are a number of Psalms in the Old Testament, Psalm 32, Psalm 38, Psalm 51. Those Psalms are all about praying over your sins. It's all there in Israel's 
hymnal. Church, this is why we pray. It's why we come back here week after week after week. Our lives are disoriented outside these walls, but we come here and we sing these songs and we're, we're reminded who's in control. We're reminded that the universe is still held together by Jesus Christ. And He's in the business of redeeming this universe. And we are reminded that we're not alone. We're together in these pleas. We walk through the valley of the shadow. We walk through storms. We walk through deserts. And we walk through them together in the name of Jesus as a community united under the umbrella of His saving grace. And we learn to say thanks in the midst of all of that. Have you ever noticed how in tough times, and I mean really the toughest times, sometimes it's a song that makes the difference. Look at the lyrics of the first verse. Actually, it's a couple of verses, but I'm calling it a verse, a stanza. There are three of them in this 13th Psalm. Here they are. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? So there's a question posed about this text. What are you hearing in the first verse, the first stanza of this song? And a clue comes to us in the verbs. Pay attention to the verbs. You forget. You hide. I wrestle. I'm sad. My enemy is triumphing over me. What do you hear? I hear distance. I hear, where are you? Have you forgotten about me? You seem to be in hiding. It sounds like the psalmist is all alone with his fears and his anxieties. But listen, that's not all I hear because I also hear engagement in this first verse because he is, in fact, bringing all of this to his Maker, right? He's not holding it in. He's letting it out. I hear engagement. And why would he be doing that if he did not believe in his heart of hearts that God is there, God is listening, and God will respond? He may not respond right now. But why would this guy be praying if he didn't believe that God was going to respond to all of this? Here's the way I've come to think of it, and it's the metaphor for this sermon. This is a distant engagement the kind that Miriam and I had a long, long time ago. I was sitting on the couch in the women's dormitory at Dallas Christian College, about to go back to Illinois. She's staying in Dallas. We'd been dating a while. I hadn't worked out a proposal in my head, and I began to fumble and stumble. It'd be nice if maybe someday we could think about the possibility, at which point she said to me, what are you waiting for? She said it kindly. She said it directly. 
It's one of the things I love most about my wife. And by the way, she approves this illustration. <laughs> She's clear. <laughs> There's never any ambiguity with her. And this is what I'm saying about prayer today. That's how we got to learn to speak to God clearly. Even and especially if it's a distant engagement. Those were five hard months. Five of the hardest months of my entire life. But the point I'm making is God may seem distant, but believe you me, He is not unengaged in your life. And neither are we when we lament, when we tell Him exactly what we're thinking, what we're feeling. Lately, I have been a little bit disoriented, church. We just made a move after 33 years. We moved from a house with two stories in a basement to a house with one floor. And you know the problem there. Intentionally, we're downsizing. We're letting go of all kinds of stuff. We let go of stuff while we were in Lincoln. We've let go of stuff here. We're still letting go of stuff. And it's a joyful thing to be able to let go of some things. But then it's hard to make decisions about stuff that you want to keep. The other day, I was looking for a hammer, and I could not for the life of me put my hands on it. I knew where the toolbox was, but somebody had mislaid my hammer, and of course, I'm sure it was me. I wanted to hang some pictures on the wall. I wanted to put shelving together so I'd know where to be able to put things and find them when I went to look for them. Sometimes we just stumble and fumble our way through life, and then when we've had all we can take, it's all we can do to scream, how long? You know, when will this thing come to an end? Maybe it's an enemy. That's the case in Psalm 13, a very real enemy. Maybe it's an illness. Maybe you've lost your job and you're crying, how long? You've reached the end of your rope and you're feeling it. You're feeling what this text is talking about, forgotten, ignored, alone, sad, maybe even cheated. And you're wondering, does anybody know how much sleep I'm losing? Does anybody really care? I want you to think with me for a moment about Israel's disorientation. God had called her. He had chosen her. He said, you're going to be my own people. She was born in slavery in a land not her own. Then the exodus. We've just been through the exodus on our road trip. And eventually she makes it through the wilderness into the promised land. But no sooner does she get into the promised land that sin and idolatry enter into her existence, and now God is going to exile her and deport her and take her to a land again, into a land not her own, where her tormentors will come after her. Sing us the songs of Israel, they will say. And she couldn't sing those songs, those joyful songs, any longer. That's where that language, you know, better is one day in your house than a thousand anywhere else. That's where that language comes from. That's where that impulse for us comes from when we come back to this place week after week after week. It is no wonder to me that Israel's hymnal 
is filled with laments. She had a lot to lament. But the trouble with lament is it doesn't sell very well. We prefer a religion where everything is fixed and put back together into good working order. And it sends us out on our merry way week after week after week. But you know life is not like that. Listen to the wisdom of Joan Chittister, who says courage is what ordinary people do on an average day. Is that what you think of when you hear the word courage? No, no, we're thinking about superheroes, but we're not superheroes. And if we think we're superheroes, maybe we need to take the cape of our childhood off and come back to reality somewhere. Courage is what ordinary people do on an average day. When you speak your heart to God, I mean the things that are deeply embedded in your heart, the things that you're feeling in the forefront of your life, when you speak that honestly and openly to your Maker, you do that with courage. That's what it takes. Because God is God, and I'm Neil. And we're not, we're not saying, <laughs> as if I had to tell you that. You know, we're not equals. So it does take courage to speak your heart and mind to God. But that's what I'm inviting you to do today. The laments give us permission to speak freely, to speak with God. Believe me, God can take it. God knows lament. Jesus Himself cried out on the cross. He quoted a psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If that's not a lament, I don't know what a lament is. Years ago, I took a senior with me to a park about 30 miles from the university where I've been teaching these three decades. His sister had died. And we went to that park. I just thought it'd be a good uh, to spend some time with him. I didn't know what was going to happen. I had no script. All I suggested was that we walk around a two-mile lake, that path, and we did. And this normally quiet, very reserved senior screamed and yelled at his maker for the better part of an hour. There were other people in the park. They were overhearing him. But he was lost in the truth of what he was feeling. And he was uninhibited in the way that he gave it to God. And yet I want you to hear this because it's so important. Toward the end of that walk, we sat down on a bench together and I saw this enormous calm descend upon him. It was the Spirit of God who came upon us and he began to remember his sister in the most positive, beautiful ways you can think of. And he gave thanks to God for her. And he gave thanks to God for his life. And he was just in a season of thanksgiving to God for the lives of other people at that moment in our journey together that day. You see, it really is okay to tell God exactly what you're feeling. The worst thing you can do 
is bottle it up. You got to get it out. The second stanza, the second verse of the song runs like this. Look at me. Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I've overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. Have you ever stopped to think about how Jesus taught us to pray? Our Father in heaven, your name has got to be made holy. Hallowed be your name. Your name has got to be made holy. The verb in the Greek text is a command. (laughs) That seems a little odd in a prayer. Your name has got to be made holy. Your kingdom has got to come. Your will has got to be done. And then he says, give us bread. He teaches us to pray. Give us bread. Forgive our sins. And don't even begin to lead us into temptation would be a pretty literal translation of what Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Those are all commands in the Greek text. There was no mealy mouth, oh, would you please just do this? Would you please just, you know, no, it wasn't like that. There was a sense of urgency in what our Lord was teaching his disciples to pray. And that is what I see in this song. Look at me. Notice my life. Just take a look at what's going on in my life. And answer me. Would you please just say something? Man, I really wrestled with this as I was preparing this sermon and what to say to you next. And this is what came to me. I pray it's inspired of the Spirit of God. I think it's the cry of our times. I think we're searching. I think we've been searching for a long time. I think we've been looking in a lot of the wrong places. As a people, Americans have been Googling half a century. Long before there was an internet, we were searching. You've heard of a thing called the 60s. You know, I survived the 60s. I ought to get a t-shirt. I survived the 60s. We're searching. The Cold War. A president gunned down in Dallas, Texas. This year marks the 50th anniversary of what? (laughs) Woodstock. And then came the 70s. It wasn't much better. The 80s were a mixed bag. Something really interesting in the 90s happened. We were ushered into the era of angels. People began to look beyond this world. They wanted to take flight. And so there were books about angels, and there were figurines of angels everywhere, and all of this stuff being sold in the 90s. But then the millennium came, and no sooner did it come than we faced 9-11. And then we face the Great Recession. And now we're living in an era where safety is the watchword in our schools. I grew up in Santa Fe, Texas. You may have heard of Santa Fe, Texas. A year ago this past May, 10 people were gunned down in my high school. 13 others were wounded. One girl in that high school was interviewed and she said, I just expected this. Can you imagine living with that kind of fear and that kind of anxiety? She said, I expected this was coming at some point. Guys, sometimes we just have to stop. 
we've got to lament. The 20th century gave us two world wars and a holocaust, and there has got to be a better way. I simply do not believe this morning in the inevitability of human progress without God. We've got to get God back in this equation of life. We have to understand that God is our life and is the giver of life. But you know, the thing about laments is, with a couple of exceptions, they generally don't end in despair. And that is true of Psalm 13. Please notice the third verse of our song this morning. It begins with the word, but. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for He has been good to me. He has been good to me because He is good. Maybe it was the very first prayer that you ever learned in your life. God is great. God is good. Now let's go eat those burgers and dogs, right? Just a little bit longer. Hold on. Hang on. Just a little bit longer. Good prayer. God is great. God is good. Everything hangs on the fact that God is good. You see, the gods of the ancient pagans were often concerned about their own affairs. They were fighting amongst themselves. The gods were killing each other. They were preoccupied with themselves. And so their devotees would come to them with sacrifices. And if things got bad enough, they would come with human sacrifices. You remember the story back in Genesis 22, Abraham and his son Isaac? God tests Abraham in light of the culture of his day and the beliefs of the people of his day. And he says to him, I want you to sacrifice your son. But when the moment of truth comes, the angel comes. Abraham's going to be obedient, and the angel stops it all. And it's like God is saying, okay, I've asked you to do this, but I'm not like that. I'm not like these other gods. Okay? It's different with me. You don't have to be like that. The only human sacrifice that ever atoned for the sins of anybody is God's own sacrifice in the person of His Son, Jesus. Thanks be to God, He loved us to the extent that He gave it all for us. He's not asking us to do that. The reason we lament is because there is right and there is wrong. And when the wrong seems to be winning, we've got to let it out. We've got to protest. We have to question. We have to speak from where we are. I think God smiles on that. What else can we do? But please, just remember in the midst of all of this that God is always and always will be good. And because He is good, we can trust Him. And because we can trust Him, We need to learn to say thank you. I love the way Brennan Manning puts it. To say thanks is to whisper a doxology in the darkness. Right in the midst of the darkest night of your life, you whisper that doxology. It's about all you can muster. Because we can't and we should not lament 
all the time. I mean, you've known people who complain all the time. You really want to be around them, don't you? Well, of course not. Listen, this is hard, but it is true. Life is pure gift. We don't know how long we have on this planet. But what we know is that all we are and all we have are gifts from God. And so we need to learn to say again and again and again, we need to learn to say, thank you, God. I am so grateful for what you have given to me. The text gets better and better, fuller, richer, deeper, stronger, and it concludes with this final line. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord. We're talking about worship here. And at the heart of worship, there is always a song, church. Just something about a song. I didn't tell you during this long distant engagement that Miriam and I experienced so many years ago, okay, 43 years ago, during this long distant engagement, it was a song that carried me through. Chicago Transit Authority, you are on my mind. I listened to it every day till I drove my roommate out of his mind. It was all I could do just to listen to that song, cranking it every day, 14-watt stereo, top volume, distortion all over the place. He's ready to run me out of the room. You're on my mind. This past week, uh, one of the things I unearthed from our garage was a turntable. Because I still have that vinyl. I'm one of those guys who hung on to the vinyl not having to buy it again, right? And I found that song, and I played that song. And the difference is, where I played it all those years ago, it was just me. But now when I play it, she's with me. What was a distant engagement has become a close engagement. I say all that to say this, church, just by way of reminder. Jesus is coming. He's on His way. He will return as He promised. And what in our laments is a distant engagement is going to yield to an eternity with Him where together we'll sing His praises and we will sing to the Father forever. Don't ever tell me it's just a song. <laughs> no way. These songs made it into Israel's hymn book. So I leave you here, guys. Play the song. Keep listening to the lyrics of Psalm 13. Let it seep deeply into your mind and into your heart and become a very part of your own being. Because the best is yet to come. In the moment, our worship team is going to sing a song over you. We're inviting you to receive it as a gift today. 
Name Above the Grave. It's a beautiful song that was penned in honor of our own Calla Woods, who's with Jesus dancing today. And we just want you to listen to the lyrics of that song and receive that gift. But before we do so, there's one other thing I want to invite you to do this morning. And that is to sit with a couple of questions as you offer God your own lament. The first one is this. How is it with your soul today? The laments give us permission to tell God exactly what we're feeling. So I want you to reach deep into the inner places of your heart and address that question. And the second one is this. What do you need to God to do in your life today? At one point, Jesus asked a blind man, what do you want me to do for you? He's a blind man. It seems like it would be so obvious, and it was. But Jesus respected his humanity, and he said, what do you want me to do for you? And that's why this is a legit question. It's not selfish. What do you need God to do in your life today? So I invite you to sit with those questions for a moment, and then receive the gift that our worship team will offer. And this way, commune with your Lord.